Every lady needs a hobby. A Miss Fisher's Murder Mystery Podcast. I'm Mackenzie Clark. I'm Jenny Andrus. Today we're discussing Season 1, Episode 6. Ruddy Gore. So, I like this episode a lot. I also really enjoyed it. More than I remember enjoying it. I like this episode because it's, I think there's a high level of sexual tension. And it, it there's foreshadowing in this episode for Indeed. future events. Yeah, I also like the, the Lin Chun storyline. I also like Jack being jealous, so it all just kind of works together in a lot of harmony for me. I love a Jack jealousy story arc. And I just love his face when he's clearly getting jealous. Yeah. Let's dive in. <laughs> yeah. The cold open features one who's like coming off stage in some kind of a huff. And then he sees a quote unquote ghost whom he recognizes as Dorothea. Um, he smells flowers and then a note is dropped to the floor that reads, you will pay for your sins. Okay. I just realized this now. Do we ever get an explanation of the flower smell? I'm not sure we do. Why does it smell like flowers? I don't know. Is that like Dorothea's signature scent? They never, I don't think they ever say. Okay, well, drop us a line, listeners, if you have the yeah. explanation for that. A loose end discovered. Maybe it's the, we're, we're doing, we're just going straight in for spoilers, because obviously everyone's seen the episode. Maybe it's the recording or the, like, projection device that they use to make the ghost. Some kind of old-timey flower-producing chemical. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's a Could stretch. Be. Yeah. I don't think they ever explain it, though. Well, okay. those 1930s projectors, uh, they <laughs> had to run on a special oil that produced a smell of hyacinths. I don't know. Also, I remember the murderer 13 seconds in. So. 13 seconds in. I couldn't remember for quite some time. Yeah. I could I can remember the whole plot line. I was like, who is this ghost? What the heck is going on? Anyway. Well, that's why, dear listeners, if you're feeling that way, that's why you listen to this podcast. We'll explain what's going on. Yeah, if you're confused. Um, <laughs> so then, uh, next up, we see a fancy Phryne and Dot are, like, striding confidently to the theater. And then when they get inside, a new character, Lean Chung, is speaking to the actor from before and to the theater owner, whom... Miss Fisher knows. And the actor was mugged outside the theater and Lean was just helping him. Just what a, you know, gallant knight striding in the moment of need. Exactly. Um, also, Miss Fisher's wearing this great, like, weird headdress thing that I like a lot in this scene. Both Dot and Miss Fisher in the scene look fantastic. I don't remember what Dot was wearing. She's, like, really gussied up because it's her birthday. Oh, And right. she's wearing, like, a little velvet coat and then this really nice hat. Like, probably a hat that she borrowed from Miss Fisher, but she's usually so dowdy. And in this scene, she's, like, looking like she really put some effort in. She wears, she's wearing a nice hat. Huh. I missed she's, it. She's going to see Gwillem Evans, you know, so. Oh, right. Yeah. I also like how, so the theater or owner that uh, Friday knows, like, immediately starts quoting Shakespeare to her. And it's just, like, such... Anyways, yeah, he's an over-the-top actor type. And I'm not sure, do they explain how those two know each other? Or was it just that no. Friday used to be an actress? I don't think that's ever adequately explained. Just, just Friday of all trades. Yeah. She happened to <laughs> be in a play once. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's ever explained. Yeah. Um, so then anyway, he tells her that there's, he's, he wants to talk to her because there's a ghost haunting the theater, Dorothea, who was a actress, a soprano, who died 20 years ago. She was last in the play Ruddy Gore, and she stabbed herself through the heart, allegedly, uh, which seems ridiculous, because who would do that? And Miss um, Fisher says that she's a detective, but she can't stop a ghost that's outside of her realm of experience well and i so my note on this scene was friday needs to give herself more credit because <laughs> you know what she has done by the end of the episode she has solved the ghost yeah so i don't know why at this point she probably just because she doesn't okay here's my theory she knows this guy but he's kind of annoying he like starts quoting romeo and juliet to her he's like really turning on the charm but he's like this old guy with a mustache and I think maybe she just doesn't. Like, she wanted the free theater tickets, but she doesn't actually want to work for this guy. Yeah, that's a solid point. Because in a later episode, the, like, seance episode, she she goes all in on that crap. Oh, the ghost stuff. Yeah. Going back to when we, we meet Lin Chun, Phryne gives him a once-over that is so obvious. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, she's not really a master of subtlety. No. <laughs> So then uh, Dot and Miss Fisher are, like, watching this show from the balcony. 
and Miss Fisher teases Dot about how she loves this actor, Gwillem Evans. And Hugh was supposed to come to the show as a surprise, like Miss Fisher arranged this, mm-hmm. which Dot seems not pleased about because I don't think she wants her actual sweetheart in the vicinity of her, like, aspirational sweetheart, Gwillem Evans. But Hugh had to cancel, and I believe instead of Hugh, Jack arrives at the theater? Or was he always supposed to be I think they were both invited. I think Miss Fisher had conveniently invited both of them uh. on the pretext of inviting Hugh for Dot's birthday. But, like, let's be real. I think she wanted to spend some more quality time with Jack. I think she wanted to see him in a tuxedo. Oh, he looks so good in a tuxedo. He looks really good. And He's he... still my heart. Yeah. Why don't men have to wear tuxedos to things anymore? I don't know. They should. It's a real to shame. To everything. It's a real shame. Also, she tricked him by not saying that it was an operetta. Yes. He's a little displeased about that. While we're speaking of the operetta, I did research Ruddy Gore. Mm. Tell me about it. <clears throat> so it's Ruddy Gore or The Witch's Curse is the alternate title, which I, I prefer, frankly, to Ruddy Gore, which I doesn't seem to mean anything. It certainly makes the plot more clear. Yeah. Um, so it's a comic opera in two acts with music by Gilbert and Sullivan. Um, it was first performed in 1887. It involves ghosts who come back to life. So there's a lot of themes from the play that are, like, presented in this episode. So there's ghosts of uh-huh. witches that were persecuted by the evil baronet. And then um, there's also a woman who has two fiancés, and she's sort of, like, going back and forth between the two fiancés, which is another theme in this episode. That is! Yes. So wow. that is from Ruddy Gore, the play. And the play, so it was first performed in 1887, but then it had a revival in the 1920s. So I think this is kind of the time when it was, like, coming back into, it was, like, not very well received. Is it Gilbert and Sullivan? Yeah. Oh. Okay. All right. Um, Also, some tidbits. Act one starts with a chorus of professional bridesmaids lamenting that there's been no weddings for the past six months. Which I'm just saying I can relate to because I have not been in a wedding this year. It's been the first year since 2014 that I haven't <laughs> been in a wedding. So Genevieve I, is a professional bridesmaid. I, you might think that we make our living on this podcast, but unfortunately um, that's not the case, not yet, but I mean, keep listening. Genevieve's other job is that she is a full-time professional bridesmaid. So if you need someone for your wedding, yeah, you know she will wear just about any weird dress mm-hmm. that you give her. Um, yep. Luckily for me, when I was in Mackenzie's wedding, the dress was um, not weird, but I have not received payment yet for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I actually paid her to say that the dress wasn't weird. <laughs> um, also, so another tidbit that I found amusing was that the, so the woman, someone proposes to her and she's like very, it's a com- it's a comedy. So like she's very strictly follows etiquette books so someone proposes to her and she just consults a book of etiquette to see if she should accept the proposal (laughs) and she does but then the guy um turns out to be like a a jerk or something and she like decides to marry somebody else which doesn't seem like very in line with the book of etiquette but yeah i mean i think it was actually like super scandalous to call Mm -hmm. off an engagement well she does it in the in the play ruddy gore groundbreaking yeah it also features a song called When a Man Sorry. When a Man Has Been a Naughty Baronet. When a Man Has Been a Naughty Baronet. I was like looking at the, the list of songs in this play, and that is one of them. What happens when a man has been a naughty baronet? I think he gets cursed by a witch. I think that might be the title of this episode of the podcast. <laughs> Anyways, those are the tidbits I have about Ruddy Gore. Um, well, speaking of Gore, the opening scene of the play, um, the actor from earlier, who's named Walter Copeland, starts to die on stage, and the other two actors just sort of carry on like it's not happening, and then they just kind of draw the curtain down. And then, like, of course, Jack and Franny rush to the scene, and he's 100% full-on dead. Um, <laughs> and Gwillem, the actor that Dot loves immediately, is like, well, he was, he's, he's just drunk and I'd better learn his lines so that I can play the part. And he's like, he's totally remorseless, like predatory. Also just like a complete asshole the entire time. <laughs> also, before they go on, the guy, Walter threatens Gillum Evans and says, if you try to upstage me again, I'll like, oh, right. Yeah. Anyway, so there's definitely some tension between those two guys. Right. Could it be a red herring? <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> also, Gwilym Evans is wearing the stupidest sailor suit. Oh, yeah. God. All the costumes. The bonnet on the actress. Oh, it's, 
so bad. And they're just, like, really hamming it up in this French first scene. Yeah, which I think is the point. Like, I think the, it's a comic operetta, so I think that's, like, the style of the play, but right, it's a lot. So then Jack, or sorry, uh, Hugh arrives, and Dot is not that pleased about it because, like, obviously she wants to get with Gwillem Evans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Jack thinks that Miss Fisher should leave and not meddle. Of course, she invokes the fact that the owner wants her to investigate the ghost. So of course she has to stay. And Jack still, like, continues to rebuff her. But it's really a token resistance because later he just fully on is, like, just telling her everything about his investigation. Yeah, he's like, this is, like, the last episode where he's like, stop meddling in my business. <laughs> also, going back, so before the guy dies on stage, Jack and Friday are in the box and Jack is like trying to follow the plot and like the one guy is proclaiming love and then the other guy is proclaiming love because it's like this love triangle and Jack's like wait I'm so confused like now he's in love with her he just met her <laughs> doesn't she kind of give him a look in that moment yeah yeah anyways I love that it's, yeah I, just... I mean it's also confusing because one of the actors is actively dying on stage right which I think is what Friday is paying attention to and Jack's like wait they're in love now understand crappy police inspector anyway <laughs> so during miss fisher's token preliminary investigation where she like generally tends to like steal evidence while jack's not looking she notices that there are odd marks on walter's fingers mm -hmm. um and she finds the note from the ghost in his sleeve and then Willem evans in he he asked if he can get the costume off the body <laughs> before they take it away just in case which makes you think that he knows that there's some kind of like poisoned like undershirt or something but it's actually just because he's an asshole. Yeah, no, he's just, like, he's worried that, like, if they take the body away with a costume on it, he won't be able to wear it when he takes the lead. Yeah. And then I noted that throughout these theater scenes, there are some great Mucha theater posters hanging on the walls. As I'm a great fan of Art Nouveau, and <laughs> um, Mucha has some, like... I'm probably, like, Muka, I don't know how you say it, but he was, like, this, like, famous Art Nouveau guy who did all of these theater posters. Oh. Um, and there's two that you can see clearly. One is, I'm, I can't speak French, but it's, like, La Dame aux Camellias. And then the other one is Lorenzacchio. So if you look closely, you can see those in the background. I did not notice that. Um, they, people went wild for them. They were, like, really famous. Wait, is that the one, is he the artist that did, like, the Moulin Rouge poster? Um, I don't know that he did Moulin Rouge, but he did the... Like, he also did a lot of advertisements. So, like, there's mm -hmm. the woman with the bicycle, yep, the, yep, yep. the champagne ads. Yes. Um, but okay. he did a ton of theater posters, especially for, like, um, Sarah Bernhardt, I think, was a famous actress at the time. Yeah. So, I just think that's a cute touch that they mm -hmm. put that in the theater because it would, would have been at that around that time, right, I think. Right, right. Oh, also... In this next scene, I think Miss Fisher is trying to question Willem Evans. Like, Jack cuts her off, but she pretends that she's just, like, getting the signature for Dot. Or, like, Dot's getting Willem's autograph. <laughs> well, yeah, so, um, she goes back to the office. Wait, let me look. What happens next? Um, they go backstage. And they're walking up to Mr. Torrance's office. And Evans is asking for the lead part. Right. And, like, right. lobbying and... Mr. Torrance is like, um, and this is not the time to be discussing this. Get out of here. And that's where Friday, like, catches him and says, I have, I have some questions for you. He, like, introduces himself. He's like, oh, I'm Gwilym Evans. And she's like, yeah, I know. I have some questions for you. <laughs> and he's like, anything for a lady. And then she asks him for dots or for an autograph. For Which Dot claims is for her mother. Yes. Also, he is way nicer to Friday than he is to Dot. He totally dismisses her. Oh, yeah. Well, because, like, obviously, Franny's more important. But then, yeah, that's when Jack um, arrives to question him. But he's like, I'm already talking to Miss Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Miss Fisher doesn't care at all that Doc gets the autograph. She just wants to use it to compare the handwriting right? <laughs> on the note. And it doesn't match. Uh, so then they're about to leave the theater. And Dot mentions that she thinks the area is dangerous. Miss Fisher is like, no, it's not. And it's interrupted <laughs> immediately by an axe being thrown across the street. like, it's... It's a little dramatic. Yeah. But also just hilarious. Yeah. It also sort of reminds me of something I would do and like sort of my older relatives are like, it's not safe. And I would be like, don't be ridiculous. And like, of course, <laughs> like, you know. Axe. <laughs> but of course, I mean, this reminds me of the scene in the first episode where Prudence is like, Phryne, you can't go out alone. And she's like, of course I can. I have a gun. <laughs> <Anyways>. Classic. <laughs> 
Well, she's widening Dot's horizons. <laughs> and then Lin Chung is back immediately with his, like, karate skills to defend them, which is like, how original! The Chinese character knows martial arts, but whatever. Yeah, his character is a little... Falls into some stereotypes. He's a silk importer with ties to the opium trade? Gosh. <laughs> Who could come up with that? <laughs> um, anyway, Miss Fisher is, like, so ready to jump right on him. She's like, oh, yes, I'd love for you to take me to a Chinese restaurant. First, though, she takes the axe and throws it. She, like, gets in on the action. How did I miss that? I don't know. She takes it out of the, she takes it out of the, like, poster where it's lodged and, like, throws it at one of the guys. And it hits, like, a barrel near him, and he runs off. Oh, So my she, like, God. basically breaks up the fight by with axe throwing. I completely missed that. Oh, man, well. Could it be a skill of the week? <laughs> <laughs> There's more. Um, <laughs> namely, at the Chinese restaurant, where it's revealed that Miss Fisher speaks Chinese uh, when Lin's grandmother insults her, and uh, also that she's, like, really good at using chopsticks. Yeah, like, uh, anyways, she never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. Weird, like, Chinese is not easy to learn, I don't think, if you're, if English is your native language. No. And she, of course, just speaks it fluently. She also speaks Russian. Which is another language that's very difficult to Mm -hmm. learn. Like, I mean, okay, like, if you speak, like, Romance languages, that's like, all right, you know, those are a dime a dozen. But Chinese is like a tonal language with a completely different system of writing. It's And, like, different dialects. Yeah. So she just happened to know the dialect of Chinese that, like, Lin's grandma is speaking. Yeah, I mean, I think there are actually, like, hundreds of dialects, which Mm -hmm. at that point of time probably would have been, like, you know, not, like, mutually intelligible necessarily. Like, they could have been close to completely different languages. Anyway. She must be, like, a language prodigy. Because, like, it's not like she had Duolingo on her phone to, like, learn Chinese. Not only does she not have Duolingo on her phone, she had a rotary dialed phone. <laughs> Maybe she was calling into a Chinese language class. That must have been it. That must be it. That's the only way right. she could have learned Chinese. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, hilariously, Dot can't use the chopsticks uh, and like tries all these ridiculous methods to use them. And like... <laughs> Friday and Lynchon are just, like, totally oblivious to Dot struggling. Because they're just, like, so absorbed in each other. Oh, yeah. And, like, Dot's just over there, like, trying to... My favorite is when she gets one in each hand <laughs> and she's trying to, like, scoop into her mouth. Something that I probably would have done oh, back in the man. day. And then Lean says that he... The violence in the street was because those men were trying to rob him. Yes, and this is where we learn that he's a, a silk importer. Yes. So then, after this scene, we cut to a poster where Walter Copeland's picture is being replaced surprise by a picture of Gwillem Evans. <laughs> the man himself. Um, and then the owner, what's his name? Mr. Mr. Torrance? Mr. Torrance, yeah. He fills Miss Fisher in on his interview with Jack that he already had. So Gwillem and Walter didn't get along. Surprise. Uh, the owner has a lot of bills to pay. Everything is riding on this show and if it goes down he'll be ruined. Yeah, I think that's yeah. kind of the gist of it. Um, but he also says that Jack told him not to talk to Miss Fisher. Hilarious. And then he just proceeds to tell her everything about his conversation with Jack. So. How do you think that conversation went? Now, don't tell that meddling lady detective, <laughs> Franny Fisher. Who presumably is your friend and you know. Like, obviously Jack knew that he, him and Franny were going to talk. If an extremely attractive and well-dressed lady detective possessed of a keen intelligent comes in here asking questions, don't under any circumstances talk to her. And if she asks about me, I mean, you could mention how dashing I look in this suit. And please let me know if she asks about me. Also, I'm single. This is unreal. I mean, the door of divorce will be coming through soon. Um, so then that's a short scene. After that, we go back to Shay Fisher, um, where Dot is hemming a really amazing robe. With Wait, you liked the robe? I did, because it has hair in all over. Do you not like the puffy sleeves? The puffy sleeves? I put it as, not to spoil the end of the episode, I put it as my worst outfit. It was oh so God. silly. It was also just like, oh yeah, it's like Eastern inspired, and she's like, just met this very attractive oh, Chinese yeah. man. Like, oh yeah. Okay, it's a little... Yeah, later on in the episode, I think I do complain a little bit in my notes about that she's, like, wearing kimono as she gets ready for her date. Which, like, she kind of has kimono-inspired things earlier, Yeah, too. she does. It's not, it's, like, before. And also in the books, he is, like, a much more consistent character. Yeah, so he's, like, like he's just main, a bigger part of her life. He's the main love interest yeah. in the books, right? Yeah. I think I actually have that as my favorite. 
but I did make you a kimono robe with birds on it. So you know that's something that I like. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I like that robe too. I've been wearing it, actually. So Phryne is standing on a chair so that Dot can hem this robe. And Dot is defending Gwillem Evans. Of course she is. Which is absurd because he's obviously a huge jerk. (laughs) (laughs) And she also fills us in on the fact that the female actor from the show, Miss Esperance, was engaged to Walter, according to the gossip magazines. Uh, And of course, the honorable Gwillem Evans would not (laughs) interfere with the married lady. Well, unengaged. They weren't married yet. Oh, yeah. Right. And again, this is, so this is, like, basically the plot of Ronnie Gore. Because, like, there's the one, she's engaged to the one guy, but then the other guy shows up and is, like, vying for her affections. That's really cute. And then I'll note that Miss Fisher's plotline also involves two men, more subtly, vying for her affections. Oh, classic. Classic. (laughs) So then the next scene is Jack's office, uh, where Miss Fisher sits right down on his desk. Just, just, just strolls right in and just sits right on the desk. It's so fantastic. I assume he just keeps that area clear for her now, since she is always sitting there. (laughs) Have you seen the, the YouTube compilation of Jack? Jack's desk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe we've talked about this in the podcast before. It's just so good. Um, anyway, so she's basically just filling him in on the ghost and Miss Esperance's lack of grief over her apparent fiance's demise. So. Which, okay, even later we learned that, like, it was just they were engaged for publicity and, like, she had all this other drama going on. But, like, she is very callous about it. Someone literally dying in front of her on stage. And she's a professional actress, so she could have at least pretended. Yeah, and it's just, like, the whole thing, the fact this guy just dies and everyone around him is just sort of like, oh, well, what are we going to do next? Like, Mr. Torrance is like, oh, we can't cancel the show. It's Everything's riding on it. And Miss Esperance is like, whatever. And Gwilym Evans is like, I want his part. And I'm like, literally, this man just died in front of you. You'd think you'd have some, like, human, like, reaction to that. I love the part where, earlier on, where Gwilym is like, oh... Like, what's the dude's name? He's like, Bernard can do Walter's part oh, yeah. or, like, whatever. Like, he knows all the songs. And the guy's, like, got, like, polio or something. He's, like, this hunchbacked, like, ugly old man. And he's like, me? Certainly not. <laughs> it's like the hunchback of Notre Dame. Like, he's not going to get on stage anyway. Well, but we find out that he was, in fact, an actor. Actor. He was, yes. So I think the, like, hunched old man thing was a little bit of a... A little bit of an act. He was putting that on. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but it was a, a ridiculous suggestion. A re- absurd suggestion. <laughs> Quill of Evans was not the sharpest. Sharpest no. in the drawer. No. So then the next scene is sort of a round robin of interviews with mm-hmm. all of the actors, starting with Miss Esperance, who says... They were engaged for two months. She kind of keeps up the facade before revealing that it was all just for publicity. And again, she's just not sad at all. Like, if one of my coworkers, like, literally died in the office, that, like, I would be horrified and, and really, like, it would take me a long time to get over that. Yeah. I mean, one of my coworkers did die, not in the office, but we were all quite upset. Yeah. We went you to didn't the- even see it happen because it's like a big deal and it's really sad. I mean, if you see someone die, regardless of whether or not you even know them, that's a traumatizing event. Yeah. And all these people just, they just go on like nothing happened. He didn't just die in the office. He died on stage in front of a full audience of people. Yeah. Well, it's TV. (laughs) And she was engaged, even if it was for publicity, like, presumably they were friends. Presumably she would have had to do magazine interviews talking about how sad she was about the passing of her beloved fiancé. And you, yeah, anyways, I, I just, it's crazy. Anyways. Anyway, so she also reveals that, or no, wait, the next interview, uh, the owner, Mr. Torrance, reveals that Ruddy Gore was Miss Esperance's idea. She wrote to him saying that they should put it on to get him to come back to Australia to make a comeback. And she was on stage when the ghost appeared, which sort of puts her out of the running mm-hmm. for that. And she also says she has not seen the ghost. Yeah. Though, but. And then she makes fun of uh, Walter's assistant following him around like a puppy. Yes. Which, Which is, it, it's his dresser, Hanson, who we saw in the beginning. He was there when Walter saw the ghost at the very, in the very first scene. Right. Yes, he was. He was very devoted to him. A devoted assistant. De- devoted to a jerk. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. This is the dresser of Walter. Oh, Walter was kind of a jerk, too. He's sort of pompous, self-important, opium-addicted. Anyway. <laughs> so then, um, But they also go talk to Hanson. Yeah, so then that's the next yeah. interview is Hanson, yeah. who says Walter... Recognize the ghost as Dorothea, confirms the note falling from the sky, 
And Jack is like, that ghost isn't real. Hansen says sand was left behind by the ghost. Oh, what could that be? Yes. Miss Fisher confirms this by finding traces of it on the floor. And then um, Hansen throws some shade at Gwilym Evans for being after Walter's role. He spent all night rehearsing. Yes. And then Gwilym. Then we go and see Gwilym, who's just signing a ludicrous amount of headshots. <laughs> just like... He reminds me of Gilderoy Lockhart. Yes. <laughs> Am I listening to that audiobook right now? Did I listen to it on the drive here? I can't confirm or deny. <laughs> um, I can confirm. We went camping last weekend. Mackenzie thought she was alone getting breakfast ready, listening to Harry Potter. <laughs> Listen, it's comforting to me. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so... Yeah, he doesn't bother to hide his disdain for Walter at all. He says Walter was a drunk, and um, Bradford, homely dresser, Gwilym's dresser, saw all of it. He saw all of the drunkenness. Confirm. Um, and then he there's... took. A, I think he said he like <laughs> took a tipple before he got, he went on the stage. A tipple. Which like does anyone say a tipple? They say that in Outlander. Oh, okay. So maybe it's an old timey. Yeah. I'm going to take a tipple right now. I think maybe it's like a British thing. And then that also... I think that their dialect of English is just closer to British English than, our, English than ours is. Okay, fair enough. In, so then there's an interview with Bradford. Bradford says that Walter <laughs> used problems with his costume as an excuse to get a drink from the flask that his dresser was holding. Another tipple. Another tipple. Um, cut. This is like, just like a total round robin. Cut to Yeah, it took me a lot to take notes on all these scenes. Yeah. I had to keep pausing. (laughs) Who are they talking to now? I mean, but anything for you, dear (laughs) listeners. We slave away. Um, Okay, so, interview with Hanson. Hanson, totally devoted to Walter, defends him. Um, he would never compromise his performance with the drink. Hanson claims to be Walter's closest friend and ally, and he would just have a drink for his nerves. Uh, allegedly, and Hanson did fill the flask. <laughs> Do we think this is not really addressed? I think Hanson was like, like, had a little bit of a crush on Walter. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like, it was kind of like a LeFou, LeFou and Gaston situation. So then Jack confronts Phryne about concealing the note. the note. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then he just like kind of rolls over and just starts talking about the case with her. Yeah, like you said, it's basically just like token yeah. resistance. And then Jack, of course, thinks, you know, cut and dry case. Hanson, the dresser, has poisoned the flask. Miss Fisher, of course, says, it's never that easy. And I said, it always is that easy in real life, but I don't know. Wait, what? I mean, in real life, there's never, like, an elaborate plot involving a ghost and a long-lost lover. It it definitely just is the dresser poisoning the flask. Right, yeah. There was recently, like, this past week, a murder in Manchester, and... Like, it was, it became, it really made it into the news because, like, the police staked out this apartment trying to find the murderer, and he wasn't in the apartment, so, like, the whole time he wasn't there. Like, all afternoon they were staked out at this apartment, and he wasn't there. But it was just, like, he shot a guy, and they knew who it was. But it doesn't make for very good TV. No. Although I did just read Halter Skelter about Charles Manson, and sometimes it is a crazy, insane murderer murdering people oh. in a really twisted, like confusing way yeah but that's sort of like once a decade not once a week as it is on miss fisher's letter mysteries (laughs) all right anyways okay so anyway next scene is where miss fisher is wearing the kimono presumably because she's going on a date with lean although i think she's just wearing it to get ready and then she does change into a dress yeah she does it's just one of her and she i think we've seen that robe in previous episodes yeah also oh wait in the previous scene this is the first we hear that Walter was killed with an overdose of opium, right? Oh, that's true. Yep. Toxicology report has come yes. back. Yes. Anyways, that was a, a key detail from the previous scene. It is key because Miss Fisher thinks Lean may have something to do with the mm-hmm. poisoning because the marks on Walter's hands are from an opium mm-hmm. pipe and the opium overdose and presumably because he's Chinese and this episode is full of stereotypes. Well, no, also <laughs> because he was there. The reason that she met him was because he was in a fight in the alley right. that Walter was involved in. So that beyond him being Chinese, he was also like at the scene of That's this true. fight with... Yeah. That's true. But he also does get quite offended when she brings it up and he leaves. Which I think he is totally justified. Totally justified. She's 100% justified. Miss Fisher seems pretty disappointed that she's not about to get laid. Oh, yeah. She's like, it's palpable. She's like, but it's so early. <laughs> he just walks out and she's just 
like, ah. Oh. She's like, well, better get out the erotica. No. Mr. Butler! <laughs> <laughs> Dim the lights. <laughs> All right, anyway. So, yeah, Lynn comes over for dinner because, of course, Bryony has invited him. Yeah. Oh, I also have in my notes that the flirtation is, like, super heavy-handed. I remember thinking it was so annoying. I was, like, rolling my eyes, like, I, ugh. Yeah, I have in all caps, heavy flirting ensues. <laughs> I have heavy-handed flirtation ensues. <laughs> Great minds think alike. I also love Mr. Butler. It's just, I wish I had a Mr. Butler in my life. Because she's like, oh, you're here. Would you like some champagne? And as she says that, Mr. Butler comes in with a tray of champagne. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> He does that all the time. All the time. It's always when she's always, she's mentioning, like, a drink or, like, needing something. He's always just there producing it. Like, like if there's the flowers, yeah, he's got the vase. Yeah. Like, what? It's, like, magical. Anyways. Um, so he says he was at the theater to show the owner some silks, not sell opium, and then he brushes off in a huff. Yeah, because Franny asked him if Walter ever bought silk or anything else from him very suggestively, and then he gets so, so I mean, mad. I mean... As is his right. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, also, sorry. Go ahead. Um, so he's he's saying he was bringing Mr. Torrance silks for his next production, The Mikado, which is also a Gilbert and Sullivan play that was released before Ruddy Gore and was much more successful. So maybe Mr. Torrance should have done that one first. Yeah, maybe. If he was in such financial difficulties. Yeah, that seems that seems right. <laughs> Okay, so next we have the the beginning of the hilarious oh, so Hugh good. learning to be a better kisser subplot. <laughs> so good. Uh, so Hugh shows up to say hello to Dot and bring her a birthday present, which is a hideous pair of sturdy boots for their walks. What a charmer. <laughs> uh, then he swoops in for an awkward kiss. Oh, it's so awkward. He somehow manages to, like, injure her. Um... <laughs> She's like, great, bye. <laughs> She's like, I have some darning to do. Said no one ever. Yeah, no. I have to wash my hair. I can't go out on a date. <laughs> anyway, um, so then Miss Fisher, like, once again bribes him for information. She's like, did the flask have opium in it? And he was like, I can't tell you, but my face says yes. <laughs> and then she gives him a book of erotica. <laughs> she probably just finished using earlier after she didn't get laid. Anyway... <laughs> Um, and she needs his help, quote, figuring out if it's illegal, which is so ridiculous. Uh, but there's a whole chapter on kissing. And he so. says, a whole chapter? And he <laughs> opens the book and, like, immediately shots it again. Looks shocked. <laughs> shocked. So that's kind of the end of that scene. But not the last time we see Hugh in examining the book. Yeah, which, I mean, doing that at work seems a bit risky. That's like the 1920s version of looking at porn on your work computer. But again, as we've discussed previously, they're literally always at work. Hugh and Jack are always on call. You're right, they are. Like, when else is Hugh going to look at that book? He's always in the office, so working him to death. Hugh took a lot of extra bathroom breaks that day. (laughs) (laughs) All right, anyway. (laughs) So then after Hugh leaves... Lean Chung's grandmother comes to pay a call on Miss Fisher and refer to her as, quote, Fox Spirit. You are Fox Spirit. <laughs> so Liam is actually engaged to a girl from Shanghai, and Miss Fisher better leave him alone if she doesn't want to get cursed. Which is also a theme in Ruddy Gore. Being cursed yeah. by, oh yeah. By a witch. Hmm. You're really, you're really on this parallel, uh, this symbolism here. This is why they pay me the big bucks for this podcast. Who's they? Why aren't they paying me? Oh, you haven't gotten your check? <laughs> <laughs> but I do all the editing! <laughs> uh, maybe you should talk to HR about that. I think I will. <laughs> um, okay, so then Dot and Miss Fisher start going through old gossip magazines to find the story of Ghost Dorothea's suicide. And we find out that she had been wooed by Terrence, the owner, and by a man named Maurice Sheffield. Another example of one woman with two men vying for affections. Again, the plot of Ruddy Gore. Yeah, not quite the plot of Miss Fisher's life since she's got way more than two men vying for her affections. She usually has two men every episode, though, so. Two per episode, one's always Jack, the other is some random person who doesn't have a chance, but. I mean, again, in the books, Lin Chan is like, they have a real relationship. Yeah. I wonder if they intended to do that with the show, but then there was such terrific chemistry between her and Nathan Page mm-hmm. that they decided to go with that. Um, yeah, because Lynchon is in several episodes. Yeah. 
we won't talk much about that because the viewer has not seen those subsequent episodes, but if you were sad that you thought Lin Chun was just a one-episode fling for Miss Fisher, you're in luck. He's approximately three episodes, so get excited. <laughs> okay, so we'll go back to the theater, I believe. And Miss Fisher is talking once again to Tarrant, once again to Tarrant, asking him why she, why he didn't tell her that he was in love with Dorothea. Which seems like a really good point, especially if she, if he actually wanted Miss Fisher to solve the mystery of the ghost, he should have given her this key information. Yeah. He was withholding important facts. And maybe she knew that. Maybe that's why she refused to work for him, because she knew he was a liar. (laughs) Well, one thing we do know is that he's not very smart, because he revealed that he was in love with Dorothea, and they had both just finished Pirates of Penzance and had been offered roles in London. And she turned it down and, quote, retired from the stage for a year. And he is just, why on earth would she do such a thing? Gosh, I don't know. What lasts approximately one year and prevents you from being in the public eye if you're, like, an old-timey lady who's been having... Unprotected sex with Mr. Doris! (laughs) What did he think was gonna happen? Hilarious that he didn't put two and two (sighs) together there. Also, like, I just don't understand. Like, it seems like... I know it was, like, the early 1900s, but it just seems like if you were actually in love with someone, you might talk about that. You might just be like, hey, let's get married. Yeah, or like, hey, I'm pregnant. What do you think we should do? It sounds like you just got offered a job in London, so maybe we should move there together and live off your income as an actor. Well, I have this baby that we produced that time we were having sex. Yeah, well... Unprotected sex. That would not have produced a whole subplot where she got engaged to someone else while he was gone. But Uh, wait, did she get engaged because she was pregnant? No, but she gives the baby away. Yeah, she gives it away. So why did she get engaged to Maury Shuffield? I'm beginning to think that perhaps our Dorothea is not entirely honorable. Yeah, I guess not. Well, all that premarital sex she was having, she's obviously an amoral character. <laughs> it's me tisking if you can't hear it. Also, Pirates of Penzance is another Gilbert and Sullivan play. I feel like it's their most famous one. I think so. Well, yeah, at the end we learned that Jack was also in it. Yes, better the, the um the Major General song, which is the only song I know from it. Okay, so then... Torrance came back, and all three of them got cast in Ruddy Gore, um, and it was clear that the fire was still burning between Dorothea and Mr. Torrance. And also, like, why would you agree to get cast in a play with your ex, whom you have a, like, secret love child with, and your current fiancé? Again, I don't think Dorothea was that honorable. Or smart. Yeah, I guess not. So anyway, um... Torrance proposes to her and asks her to dump Sheffield, and she says she'll give him her answer on opening night, which is like, I mean, wasn't there already enough pressure with the play opening? I don't know. (laughs) Um, And then she sends him a note on opening night saying, I cannot go on. And she's found dead in her dressing room that night. Stabbed Uh, through the heart, which again, why did this not raise suspicion at the time? Who stabs themselves in the heart? I think it's kind of hard to to get at your heart since your rib cage is there specifically to protect it. So you could hit a rib and you could hit just miss it completely. I just don't you would not stab yourself to death. And wouldn't you die slowly? Yeah, it's like literally the worst possible way. Like I mean, just get a gun or some poison or jump from the top of the theater, hang yourself for example. I'd definitely go the poison route, I think. Yeah, for sure. Again, I probably though wouldn't I would just tell Mr. Torrance that I had his. I would have. I would have done a lot of things differently than Dorothea. Yeah. Well, I think she didn't actually kill herself. Right. Yeah. That's the point. The whole point of this plot is that she did not. She kill did herself. not stab okay, herself okay. in the heart. I'm just saying. I feel like the police should have investigated, but clearly it was not Jack Robinson investigating at that point. Yeah. Um, oh, and the note. <laughs> I the I cannot go on note. Miss Fisher compares to the you will pay note, and it matches, so mm-hmm. it could be Dorothea's handwriting. The ghost <gasps> is real! Um, uh, and allegedly, Maurice Sheffield gave up the theater after this happened. And then we cut to the next scene, where we find out that the beneficiary of Walter's estate was, in fact, his devoted dresser, Hanson. I oh, think wait. these two were actually just in Lovers. love with each other. Yeah, that seems Which is much likely. sweeter. I wish they would have developed that plot point. Yeah. Because then, anyways, the other thing we find out... Wait. They go to see where Dorothea died. So they go to the dressing room where she died. And he tells her there that Dorothea had a cousin named Mobs. Miss Mobs. Mrs. Mobs, right. Who might know where Morris Sheffield is. Right. Anyways, that was the... That is important. Yes. 
Um, oh, and then also I have in my notes that Bradford and Gwillem Evans are now occupying Walter's dressing room, having wasted it no time at all. <laughs> okay, so then in the next scene, Miss Esperance and Gwillem are rehearsing slash fighting, and uh, Miss Esperance storms off stage, giving Miss Fisher the opportunity to take over for her to help Gwillem rehearse, and so she puts on the absurd bonnet. <laughs> And begins to read the lines. Also, I love Jack's expression in this scene. He's just so amused. I mean, every expression he makes. Like, the man is truly gifted. I know, it's just amazing. Just his facial expressions. So then Miss Fisher smells hyacinths, and something suddenly drops from the ceiling. And be still my heart, Jack dives to push Miss Fisher out of the way. And there's a classic romantic body slam where he's sort of lying atop her... You know, because he had to to he save her. her. He was saving her life, and it's not sexual at all. He was saving her life. And but then now, he just happened to lie there yeah. for a long time. Now the entire front of his body is pressed up the, against the entire front of her body, but not in a sexy way. In know, a saving her way. A saving her way. Yes. <laughs> so while they were having that moment, um, was it a banana in his pocket? I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> poor Gwillem gets hit with whatever that was that fell from the ceiling. It was a sandbag or a counterweight for the cur- curtain or seat, some sort of counterweight yeah. thing in the rigging. And um, somehow this kills him instantly. <laughs> I'm not. I don't think that's actually how it works. But he's dead, 100% dead. I mean, if the thing was really heavy and it fell right on you, it might kill you. I, I mean, maybe it would break his neck. But I don't... He wouldn't die instantly from a broken neck, would he? No, probably not. But there's probably, at that point in time, nothing they could do for a broken neck. Yeah, I don't so. think they could... I don't think they could save him. Put him in an iron lung? <laughs> I don't think they would do that for a broken neck. Yeah, I don't know. The point is, he died instantly, because it's television. And as we discussed in the first episode, television would be really boring if there's prolonged scenes of people <laughs> dying. <laughs> The point is, it was necessary for the plot to for Gwilym to die because we thought, because of his just like obvious right. disdain for Walter, that maybe he was he's the killer. A murderer, so it's but he was not more interesting if he dies. Also, like he was really obnoxious, so like it's not a huge loss. Although Mr. Torrance is probably ruined. Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely ruined, definitely. So then, right after this happens, Miss Fisher steps away for some me time to collect her wits after the the near-death experience. After Jack, like, rolls off of her. Yeah, does she really need to collect her thoughts, or does she just need to sort of cool down a little bit? Um, But the ghost makes a surprise appearance, and a note drops next to Miss Fisher reading, You're next. (laughs) Rude. Which, okay, wait. So, we find out later that the falling sandbag was intended for Miss Fisher, so how was the killer set up to then produce the ghost so quickly after a failed murder attempt of Miss Fisher? Yeah, good point. Good point. I mean, you're next. She was supposed to have already been. So maybe that was for somebody else? But he does say it was well, for maybe, her. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't make sense as is often the Maybe case. he was going to kill Torrance next. So there's more sand on the floor this time Miss Fisher sees it. So she presumably thinks she's about to catch the the culprit of the ghost. And she picks up a big stick and sort of stalks about with a stick. And then we get another startling body slam for Jack and Miss Fisher. And then he just, like, holds the board she's holding for, like, a lot. And there's, like, heavy breathing. Oh, it's, it's intense. It's I have intense. in my notes as they gr- both grasp the wood. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's very sexual. And then she shows him the note, and he says, No, I really can't let you out of my sight. <laughs> oh, Jack. I wasn't kidding about the tension in this episode. Oh, so good. So then they both leave the theater discussing why would the killer fake a ghost, possibly to shut down the production. And then suddenly, Lean Chung slams into Jack. <laughs> and, it, like, almost gets into a fight. Like, it almost comes to blows. Yeah. Jealous Jack. And <laughs> Lean invites her to supper, and he's like, I need to take her home. And she's like, oh, actually, I am hungry. <laughs> and Jack just looks so, oh, he's uh, so jealous. He looks so pissed. Uh, she's the master of playing hard to get. If I had tactics like these in high school, I mean... <laughs> I don't think it's possible to have Miss Fisher's class in high school. Like, she's clearly a woman in her late 30s. Yeah, she's you're been right. She's around the block. Yeah, well, we can't all be Miss Fisher. You're right, we can't. 
Because she's a fictional character. <laughs> Literally, we can't. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, so they go to dinner, and Lynn tells Miss Fisher that it's an arranged marriage. So he's still yes. free for some... Some extracurriculars. Some extracurriculars. <laughs> um, he's never even met the girl, and he's marrying her because the family business is suffering. Um, but he's on the fence about it because they are opium dealers, and he doesn't like it because his father um, was addicted to opium and <laughs> killed him and ruined the business. So he doesn't want anything to do with it, and he hasn't actually agreed to the marriage yet, which means that Grandma was jumping the gun a little bit. Yeah. Not threatening Franny. Yeah. Um, and while he decides what to do, nothing wrong with a bit of flirtation, maybe something more. <laughs> so apparently he got over being offended that Miss Fisher was basically insinuating that he was an opium dealer. Yeah. Clearly her charms had lured him back. As they always do. Uh, so then we cut to <laughs> The Hugh. best scene. Yes, he was... Well, no, it's not the best scene of this episode. It's <laughs> one of the good scenes. It's actually sort of, sort of, um, like, they kind of intersplice the three characters yeah. together where Hugh is checking out the erotica, Dot is like drooling over her Gwillem autograph, and Hugh is like practicing like the kissing techniques from the book, and then Mr. Lean is like, I don't need a book. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because like Hugh is is like kissing his arm and then Lynchon is like kissing Miss Fisher's arm. arm and then yeah. like moves elsewhere, but Yes. And then Dot is literally sewing herself a black armband for Gwillem Evans. Oh, I didn't realize that's what she was so doing. So ridiculous. Can you imagine if an actor you liked died and you literally wore a black armband around? I mean, maybe if I met him. Really? Like, I love James McAvoy. Much to Rob's chagrin. Anyways, if I had met an actor, like, if I had met Heath Ledger in person and, like, chatted with him, and, like, if my boss was, like, actively working on something that he was involved in, I don't know if I'd wear the black armband, but I'd definitely be mourning. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I mourned Heath Ledger, and I had never met him. I'm still mourning Heath Ledger. I have never... I didn't wear a black armband, I guess, though. Ten Things I Hate About You is an American classic. <sighs> All right, so now it's the next morning, and Friday's in bed. Uh, and that's where we see... The dot is wearing the armband, I think, right? I didn't notice the armband at all, but that seems very plausible. Yeah. She was sewing something. Yeah. Also, and in the previous scene where she was sewing, she sort of, like, looks at the boot and then sighs loudly and like, <laughs> lays it aside. Yeah, she has the boots, like, right there and also Golem's autograph. Yeah. I mean, who hasn't been disappointed by a crappy present given by a, a young man? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah... Ladies, that's not the most important thing in the world. Anyway. It's definitely not. Hugh has a heart of gold. He does. And a good job. And probably those galoshes would have been pretty useful. Practical gifts are underrated. Yeah. yeah. Not very romantic. I never saw my dad give my mom anything except a practical gift. Did he ever give her galoshes? No, but he bought her a minivan once. I mean, yeah, but that's a car. He also bought her a TV once, and I'm pretty sure it was just for him. <laughs> the best kind of gift. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Anyway, so Miss Fisher thinks that Gwillem was killed by mistake, mm -hmm. um, and then she and Dot go to call on this cousin of Dorothea's, Mrs. Mobs. As they're driving up, they see that Miss Esperance, whose name is first name is Leela, we find out, yes. um, was at Miss Mobs's house. <gasps> How suspicious! And they're spying, and Dot is really like uncomfortable that they're spying. <laughs> and Franny's like, "Don't be such a goody two shoes." And Franny's like, "Literally, that's my job." Yeah. <laughs> also, like Dot, you knew that. <laughs> it's not the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Fast forward to when like Dot is posing as like an employee at a factory. Like, well, she already in the very first episode like pretends to be needing a back alley abortion. Yeah, like, Dot has. Anyways. Yeah. But I mean, like, religious dot, perhaps, was, like, more willing yeah, to. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So, Mrs. Mobs thinks Ruddy Gore sucks, I have in my notes. I don't remember what precipitated that. <laughs> she says it's not exactly HMS Pinafore, which is another Gilbert and Sullivan play. Well, she's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, we find out she used to be an actress, didn't really work out, and that she raised Miss Esperance. She, well, at first she says she got busy with other things. Oh, what could it be? <laughs> and then Friday's like, oh, is it because Dorothea took a year off for the age-old reason? Yes. <laughs> and then Mob gets all huffy. Yeah. Kind of crappy of Dorothea to just, you know, foist her illegitimate child off on her cousin. Who was also an actress, like. Yeah. And she leaves the stage to take care of Layla. 
sounds like an Oprah's book club book that we'll never get to read. That's fine. I'm thinking of subplot in this murder mystery. Um, so anyway, Mrs. Mobs has no idea what Miss Fisher's talking about, about this ghost. Um, but she confirms, yes, uh, Leela is Dorothea's child that she gave Mrs. Mobs to raise. Leela knows the truth that Dorothea is her mother. And she also says that Maurice was a real charmer who tried to get Dorothea to act in the cinema. How shocking. The cinema? <laughs> and Leela doesn't know who her real father is, who, of course, we know is um, Bart. Yes. yes. Terrence. Terrence or Torrance? Terrence. Terrence. I don't Terrence. know. I have Terrence in my notes. Who knows? Tarrant might be actually right. So then Miss Fisher thinks that all of this might give Leela a reason to seek revenge. Mm -hmm. um, and she encouraged Tarrant to put on the play. And now he's ruined. 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 I'll be ruined. <laughs> yeah, so then Phryne goes to tell Jack what she has learned from Mrs. Mobs. And Jack has arrested Hanson. Oh, right. He's right. He's, he's yeah. trying to escape on the train. Because yeah, he's convinced that he killed Walter by yes. accident. He wants to flee the scene. And then he... He admits to killing Walter and says that his opium habit was getting worse and Hanson started buying opium for him. He got him some laudanum. Because yeah, he, could, he couldn't go back to the opium dens because he was too insulting. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> Walter Copeland. Probably racist. <sighs> Walter. <laughs> so he thinks, yeah, he thinks he gave him too much by accident. Um, but Dr. Mack says... That it wasn't a lethal dose of laudanum. Which, sadly, we don't get to see Dr. Mac in this episode. Once again. A disappointment. Where is the Dr. Mac spinoff that we all are clamoring for? Right, that's my real question. Doctor, like, oh, it could be so good. It could be, like, a crime procedural. Like, like a like, medical drama. Yeah, yeah, like a medical drama with Dr. Mac, like, solving mysteries or even just medical Fantastic. issues. Could be so good. All of the Jack Friney sexual tension could be replaced by awesome queer sexual tension while Dr. Mac wears, like, a sexy tweed suit. Those tweed suits. I mean, the world needs more of that. Definitely. Anyway, so she says not a lethal dose of laudanum that Hanson mm -hmm. says he gave to Walter. So Friday thinks that Jack should let Hanson go. And yeah. then Jack accuses Lynn of selling opium. And they fight about it. Miss Fisher, uh... <laughs> Does she, Miss Fisher asks if he's questioning her taste in men. Phryne gets really offended that Jack is accusing Lynn of selling opium and says, are you um, questioning my judgment? And Jack says, no, I'm questioning your taste in men, which is so great. He's uh, so jealous. Oh, uh, so good. And then Jack rolls his eyes because Phryne storms out of his office. Oh, man, she's got him hook, line, and sinker. <sighs> questioning her taste in men. Honestly, <laughs> she's like going after him. Oh man, Jack, you're going to have some episodes to wait. Although if he just made a move, that's all I'm saying. I don't, the divorce is not final yet. That's true. And you know, really, she might have, she might have used him sort of as more of a, her one of her one-off flings if he hadn't waited. See, and, and I think that's what, he was playing the long game. He was playing the long game. All right. Anyway, so then back at the house, Miss Fisher is sort of playing around with a projector, trying to figure out how to create a ghost. And then Dot sort of says something that, that makes her put it all together and she rushes off to the theater where she has somehow managed in a minimal amount of time to stage an absurd reveal scene. <laughs> um, I love this scene because Friday is like starting to doubt herself, which we don't see very often. Yeah. But she's like, I just must not, I can't figure it out. Like, I must not be a very good detective. And I just like found that very endearing because... Phryne is so confident and so smart all the time, but it's like, also she has these moments of self-doubt where you're like, oh yeah, like, we've all been there where it's like, maybe this thing I thought I was good at, I just like, suck at it and I didn't realize, like, um, and then Dot cheers her up, which I also find really charming because it's like, yeah. you know, Dot's the sidekick and, um, what she says is maybe there are some cases that can't be solved, time runs out and there are no clues left. And that's when Friday's like, oh, right. Same. I have it, which is a classic murder mystery trope. There's always the hapless sidekick that never is quite, quite up to speed on like Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Never quite like, never, never quite with or like in, in Agatha Christie. So Hercule Poirot has this friend Hastings, who's always just like, sometimes he narrates the books and he's always just a little behind. He's always just a little lagging behind Hercule and he never quite keeps up. But then there's always this moment where the sidekick, like, says something, just, like, kind of off the cuff. And it's like, yes, that's it. And, the, the, like, the brilliant detective figures the whole case out and then gives credit to the sidekick, which I actually find really nice. Because it's like, well, sometimes you just need that person that you're bouncing ideas off of and then they... 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Anyways. Um, so she gathers the actors together and claims that she will summon the ghost, which she then does, but... Shocker, there is no ghost. What? Just trickery. The ghost wasn't real? <laughs> Just a thin curtain of falling sand has a scene from Dorothea's one film that she made projected onto it. And then suddenly the, quote, real Dorothea appears, which is actually Leela in a wig and costume. And I don't understand why no one recognizes that it's just Leela. And everyone's like, oh, it's Dorothea! But well, no. there is some smoke that they sort of get onto the stage. Maybe people were just stupider back then. Which, did they have smoke machines back then? I have no idea. Anyway... Um, so then Leela accuses Bradford of being, in reality, Maurice Sheffield. Uh, <laughs> he faked the ghost that killed, and he killed the others, and he even faked, he even killed Dorothea and faked her suicide note. Dun, dun, dun! And then he takes a little bow. <laughs> <laughs> like, he takes off his glasses. He's like, it is, it's been me all along! And then he just, like, runs. But of course, Hugh, Hugh ca- I mean, catches him. Like, in a supreme act of bravery, he catches the sort of hunchbacked old man, Bradford. <laughs> All right, but he was, like, waiting in the wings. Yeah. Also, I think the hunchback thing was, like, a, an act. It may have been an yeah. act. Um, and I guess he did it all to get revenge on Tarrant for trying to steal Dorothea away. Which is just, that's a long time to hold a grudge. Also, like, a flimsy motive for murder. Like, get over it yourself. I know, right? Nobody does that. Nobody does that. This is what happens when people don't have, like, HBO on demand to distract themselves from their <laughs> woes. They they care for their grudges and, like, dung beetles. They just roll them until they're <laughs> large balls, and then they stage elaborate murders. Um, so then, yeah, uh, we find out he killed Walter just to ruin the show. He tried to kill Miss Fisher because of her meddling, uh, but he accidentally got Gwilym instead. And then Leela is revealed as Terrence's daughter, and they have a touching moment of reunion. Which, like, again... Previously to this, Leela has demonstrated that she's just sort of callous and heartless. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I just don't know how touching, how touched I feel. There's a lot that doesn't make sense here. Um, So then next we have an onstage moment with Hugh and Dot, uh, where Hugh breaks out his erotica moves and gives her a kiss on the wrist. Well, because at first, Dot is like talking of Evans and how how talented he was. Oh, quote, talented. Yeah, I bet Dot... Yeah, he didn't seem that talented. Anyways, and then Hugh's like, oh, well, you might think, well, Evans is nice, but check out these moves, and, like, swoops in for the kiss. She actually looks a little uncomfortable, but then they kind of make out anyway. Yeah, I mean, he, like, kisses her her wrist, and then, like, kind of awkwardly her neck, and they're, like, also on stage, so, like, it's not very private. Maybe he's an exhibitionist. Ooh, interesting twist. <laughs> we can gather evidence for this hypothesis as we watch <laughs> yes, the later episodes. <laughs> and um, then finally he gets to her mouth, and that's when she's like, okay, this is just a normal kiss instead of Hugh being weird and awkward. Yeah. And then it's sweet. It's like, y'all. Yeah. Um, so then Miss Fisher goes to dinner with Lean, and he tells her that he's going through with the arranged marriage to save the family business, and he'll stop the opium importing once he's in charge. Which, like, will he? Maybe. We'll never find out. Spoiler alert. We don't know. And then for some reason, after this, Jack and Franny are back at the theater. Yeah, I'm like, how did they get back there? Yeah, why are they there? Why did they go there? Maybe he was there late, dusting for prints, just to make sure that the hunchback was Maurice Sheffield, and since Franny's not getting laid, she goes back to the theater just to... See what Jack's up to. Yeah. That's probably it. Probably. Um, Anyways, it sets up for a really, like... A very important scene. A very important scene. So, Jack, or so, Friday says, there's one mystery she didn't solve. Why doesn't Jack like operettas? Now, is that really a mystery, or is it just totally reasonable to not like operettas? I think it seems reasonable, especially seeing that this one seemed, like, Roddy Gore seemed really silly. Yeah. But the actual mystery is that he was in one, Pirates of Penzance, and he got a bad review, and that's why he doesn't like operettas. This seems pretty flimsy, doesn't really hold up, but whatever. (laughs) But then he says, I'm more of a Shakespeare man. Oh, really, Jack? (laughs) And then he just recites Shakespeare. Yes. He does a monologue from Antony and Cleopatra while making some smoldering eyes at Miss Fisher. I, like, just, I melted. Now, I sort of 
you know, I didn't really get this, but they, they keep coming back to this again and again throughout the three seasons of the show, which I didn't really realize until I started reading the blogs. <laughs> Did you get those references? No. What? Well, I don't want to give too much away, but there's a costume party where they dance. Oh, yeah! And then there's the whole ancient Egypt weird shit in the season finale. Anyway. I did not. I never... Well, I didn't either, but... You read the, the... blogs. Anyway. Interesting. Um, Very clever. Yeah, so that's... That's the episode. That's the episode. All right, so should I do the murder recap? Yes. So Bradford, but it's who actually actually is Gwillem Evans' dresser when we meet him, but he was actually Maurice Sheffield, the spurned lover of the ghost Dorothea. Um, Dorothea was going to throw him over for Bart Torrent um, back in the day, whose daughter she had born. So he kills Dorothea and made it look like suicide by copying her handwriting. Um, so he faked the suicide note. And then 20 years la- later, Leela, who knows that her mother, who her mother is, but not her father, requests a replay of Ruddy Gore as a way to get closer to her mother. So Bradford uses this, Bradford, a.k.a. Maurice Sheffield, uses this as an opportunity to get revenge on Bart Torrent. Um, so he convinces Dorothy, so he, back in the day, yeah, he convinced her to do... A film. A film. That's what that says. <laughs> a film. And use the footage, 20 years later, to simulate her ghost by projecting it onto a curtain of sand. Um, he then spikes Walter's drink to kill the leading man to ruin the show and thus Bart. And then that doesn't really work because Gwilym Evans steps in and then he, when Miss Fisher starts investigating, he tries to kill her but accidentally kills Evans. It makes all makes sense. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> so, in my opinion, kind of a stupid mystery, but I like the romance. I like the tension. Um, I give the murder method actually a, a nine. Because I thought the ghost was very clever. Oh, I have a three for the opium, but 300 for the ghost projection. <laughs> yes, okay, we are, we're in agreement on that. Yeah. <laughs> 300. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty clever. I would certainly never think of it, and frankly, I'm not sure it would really work. Yeah, um, I mean, it would be very tricky to pull off. Yeah, I mean, who is, who's, like, lowering the sand? Who's operating the projector? Do you have assistance? Yeah, you definitely need more than one person. Yeah. Also, why did it smell like flowers? Never explained. Never explained. Never explained. Anyways, He's maybe one he had an accomplice. Man with crooked shoulders. Anyways, yes, the sexual tension though is way more interesting than the murder. So yeah, what did you rate it at? The sexual tension. Yeah. Eight. Ooh, I gave it a seven point five, and I have in my notes for heavy breathing and stick grasping. <laughs> yes, I also had the, what I refer to as the board embrace. Where they sort of embrace the board. Oh, yeah. Really they embrace both, each other. They're holding onto it for far longer than yes. necessary. Well, <sighs> there's just a lot of close contact. There's also several scenes where their faces are very close, which is like, there's always a few of those scenes. So what did you have as your best outfit? I had Dot's theater outfit. I just loved seeing Dot in something that was less ugly, frankly. I really don't like a lot of Dot's clothes. She so. wears some real bad ones, yeah. yeah. But the little velvet jacket was very charming. Yeah. That. I think that the fashion of the times was not flattering to a woman such as Dot with a large chest. I think, yeah, I think that's definitely part of the problem. I think also Dot just needs to let Miss Fisher, like, make her over, but she's probably, like, kind of resistant. Well, there's an episode where Miss Fisher tries, and then Dot just gets a really boring suit. Yeah. Have we done that? No, we haven't done that episode yet. No, it might be season two. I had the the heron robe, which I know you hated. Yeah, that was my worst outfit. Um, But I also had honorable mention for Jack's very sexy tuxedo. Very sexy. Oh, she's so so crisp. Yes. And worst outfit, you had the the same robe. (laughs) That you had as the best outfit, yes. Um, I put that, the fur-edged robe that she wears to the theater. I just thought she wears that. Yeah, I don't like yeah, it very much. Yeah, it's oh, it's not, sort of like it's a poncho. Yeah. Um, skill of the week? Chinese. I also had Chinese. Yeah. Yep. Uh, best week, Franny, because she has two men vying for affections. Um, <laughs> so she meets Lin Chan, who is like pretty smooth, pretty attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by you know, going to dinner with him and having him over. She gets Jack all hot and bothered. True. <laughs> Plus, she gets a compliment from him at the end. He tells her that she, like, did a good job. It's true. So. It's true. Friday best definitely had the best week. Um, I'm gonna go with Hugh had the best week because 
he gets given basically a book of porn, which can't be that common in the, like, 1920s. <laughs> and then he gets to use his moves on Dot. Yeah. Who presumably just totally loves it. Yeah, although for the worst week, I had Dot because she got galoshes for her birthday. And then... I her just favorite actor dies. And her favorite actor dies. And then, like, I just don't know if, if Hugh's, like, newfound kissing. Like, okay, it's one thing to read about it in a book. Yeah. I don't know that he's perfected it yet. So, like, is the kiss going to make up for the galoshes? I think Hugh still has some work to do. Yeah, but at least he's making an effort. Oh, yeah, no, I definitely credit to Hugh for making an effort, I think. I mean, obviously, it's going. he's going to be fine, but I just feel... I felt for, for Dot during this episode. Okay, so for worst week, I guess... I'm going to go with Hanson, because not only does he, like, seem like he committed a murder, and even he believes that he was responsible for the murder, but it was apparently also the murder of, like, you know, his lover. The irritating Walter Copeland. Yeah, like, Hanson could have done better. He seemed like kind of a nice guy. Yeah, you'd think he would have been vying for Willem. Better looking man. But yeah, but more annoying. Yeah. Well, anyway. Definitely had the worst week. He's never in another episode, so that's it. I don't think he needs a spinoff either. Nope. <laughs> Hanson the dresser. <laughs> okay, well, that really does wrap us up. All and right. next week we're reviewing Murder in Montparnasse. I have in my notes an infamous false start. Ugh. A real tease. A real tease. Ugh, you're right. That is in that episode. Yes. Ugh. Well, with that, we leave you. See you next week. 